Hi, and welcome to Apple Jam, a place where my friend Neil McCutcheon and myself, Bernardo Morales, discuss Beatles and Beatle-related records. These conversations are hosted in Clubhouse, where we meet every two weeks to discuss an album. We'd like to invite you to join the Apple Jam Club in Clubhouse and to follow us on Instagram. Now, without any further ado, here's the episode. Is it, is it something you've listened to um, all the way through a lot? Do you listen to the a- Apple Jam or not? Well, I've, I think I've heard it only once or twice. Um, once when, when I first got it, and then twice before, um, before today, just to make sure that I remembered it. Yeah, <laughs> to check if there's anything uh, special really like that you it. missed. I, I enjoyed it more now than I did at the time when I first heard it. Okay. I mean, I, I quite like a lot of jamming music, so maybe I could go back to it now after having heard The Grateful Dead and um, people like that. Because, um, yeah, when I first heard it when I was a teenager, I thought, mm, you know, it's a bit, uh, it's like a, it's definitely a wall of sound, but there's not a lot going on. Yeah, well, I thought the same. I thought it went on for a bit too long. Um, but then now, kind of, well, I kind of appreciate guitar, electric guitar a little bit more. I thought it's pretty rocky. And I thought it's it's pretty good for 1971 or 1970. When did it come out? Yeah. 1970. So it's 1970. I'll have to check it out again because when I got the uh, the new mix, I didn't hear that. I haven't heard that yet. I've heard everything else. Yeah, something um, interesting is I, I've never on. had an, uh, the LP version of this. I only had the CD version of this, so I never I never knew it was a three LP until later. Ah, okay. I never knew the Apple Jack one, was an extra one. One of the things um, with all things must pass. I think it was the first um, three LP set. Um, uh, I don't know which was released first, this or Woodstock, um, but before All Things Must Pass, it was only opera and things like that. You know, if you're going to buy Wagner, you'd get a three LP set, but this was the first time rock music had done that, I think. Um, So um, George must have felt pretty happy with it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, got very good reviews. So I heard also it was pretty expensive. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, maybe three or four pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I think I heard something like that, four pounds. But that was a lot at the time. Yeah, yeah I'm sure it was. Well, it still is expensive if you think uh, about these new re-releases. They're they're, they're not cheap. Oh, really expensive now. The re-release was what nine? Was it seven hundred ninety-nine euros or something? Yeah, <laughs> it was the most expensive one. It came with a gnome. Which you that put in your garden, which I that's think. the most expensive record I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> you. Yeah, it came with a gnome and a, and a crate to sit on. Yeah, that's crazy. I wonder if anyone bought it. Some people will have done, you know, like a, um, if you're really a, a dedicated fan. <laughs> yeah, but you'd, you'd have to be very dedicated and, 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 and wealthy as well to have uh, $1,000 to, to spare on an album. Exactly. Um, since it's only Nabila here, I think we, I'll skip over the introduction and I'll go back to the introduction of what we want to do on the on the. Um, our show sort of thing, if more people come. So I get straight to talking about the record. Um, And I want to say something about my first, um, um, the first time I encountered this. So I bought All Things Must Pass as a result of reading, um, I think, Shout by Philip Norman. And it got a mention at the end of that. And just the idea that George had saved up all these songs and come out with this triple album with all the stuff that he'd saved up um, and how good it was. And I just thought, I have to have that. Now, one thing about um, buying records at that time, it's really different now. So we're kind of living now in an, an extended present where you can get everything on you can get everything on Spotify, you can get everything on YouTube, no matter how obscure. But in 1983, 
that wasn't the case. And I went along to my record shop, and of course it was all punk and new wave at the time. And I ordered this, and they had to look it up in a big catalogue. Wow. And it was deleted. It was deleted. Uh, so, so basically, the only way to get it would be to sort of contact other record shops and so on and see w- which copies were floating around. And um, I used to come in every few weeks and, you know, ask, where's, you know, where's that album? And they would, they would just joke around, oh, yeah, the George Harrison triple album, picture disc, limited edition. Sorry, <laughs> mate, we don't have that. You know, like it was the most obscure thing in the world, you know, because, it, because that's what the 80s were like. So, it's, I mean, eventually I got my, my hands on it, and it was a, it was a nice uh, repress, I guess, from, the, um, from that era, late 70s or early 80s. Um, but, yeah, I had to take some flack about it, and it was quite embarrassing because, you know, obviously it wasn't the Smiths or it wasn't the Cure, uh, it wasn't particularly trendy, and I had to stand there and get this kind of abuse. <laughs> Yeah, that's but I was very pleased How often when I did got you go home. to the shop? Oh, so that was my regular record shop. And, okay. and it's just crazy because now with Amazon, with Spotify, if you want something like that, well, it's definitely not obscure. It's not an obscure album anymore. But it's, there, it was hard 13 years it, after its release. Huh? Before, the, before this re-release, it was a bit hard to get because the other one was out of print. So it was, it was a bit expensive. Yeah. That's right, but it's something that most people have heard of and that you can sort of, you can track that. I mean, CDs started that era when things were available again. Well, in Napster, um, I guess. Yeah. Back in like, yeah. the so when 80s, did, so you could download Exactly. That, that was actually the, the first time I heard the album all the way through was downloading it because I, I, I had a similar situation in Costa Rica in, in, in the 90s. Uh-huh. It, was, it was really difficult to get, um, to get albums. Even the kind of the main Beatle albums were difficult to get. Um, I remember looking for Please Please Me, um, and I couldn't find it anywhere until kind wow. of a year after I'd, been, I'd started looking for it. Um, and there is a show, on the, or there used to be a show on the radio in Costa Rica called Los Cuatro Grandes, the Fab Four. Um, and it was two hours yeah. of Beatles music every day. And that's where I kind of discovered Every day? Every day. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> um, they must have ended up repeating themselves a bit. Yeah, but it was the same kind of DJ doing it every day, kind of um, Beatles right. or Beatles solo albums. And, and I discovered a lot of um, Beatles music um, because of that radio show, because otherwise it would have been impossible to get the albums. The only one yeah. I remember being able to get was Paul McCartney's All the Best, um, which was okay. kind of trendy in the, in the early 90s. And, so you downloaded this one for free? Yeah, I downloaded it and I, and I had it um, on, on my computer. Um, yeah. and, and that was kind of the first time I ever heard the whole thing all the way through. Yeah, yeah. And did you did you like it straight away? I didn't, um, not straight away. Um, I think I got to appreciate it more as an adult than as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I was more into kind of uh, Paul and, and John when I was a teenager. I think I think it would strike people as a very mellow album now. Like if you put it on, they'd think, yeah, it's good, but it's very peaceful i mean i know there are some bits that that kind of rock but even the rocking bits you know they've been kind of pulled back in the mix especially in that original mix um like in something like what is life you know what a great riff but it is a bit buried i think a different producer might have fronted that and and you know really made that riff a much more dramatic moment I agree. Um, how do you feel about Phil Spector in general? Do, do you like what he did with the Beatles and what he did um, in the early 60s? I, I sort of, I like what he did in the early 60s. So I like that wall of sound thing with the, the girl groups very much. And um, with Let It Be, I mean, I feel by the time he'd reached Let It Be, he was he was kind of tired, and he really wasn't putting in the effort. There are some great productions on that, like um, the song Let It Be uh, on that album. I think is a fantastic production. I love to put that on headphones, listen to the you know and the guitar solo that he picks and so on. With All Things Must Pass, I just think it's a bit 
I think it's often a bit busy. Um, yeah, not all of it, but I'm, in general, I think it ends up sounding a bit flat. And I think the new mix is uh, is quite an improvement. What do yeah. you think? I, I think that basically the same. I like what it did in the early 60s. There is a great Christmas album called A Christmas Gift for You from Phil Spector. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Um, but, but I no. like it. No, it's really good. Um, I play it every Christmas. Um, it's from, I think, 1962 or 63. Um, and it's, it's pretty good. I'm not too sure about Let It Be. Um, I like his version of Let It Be, maybe better than the single because of the guitar solo. Mm. Um, but I prefer yes. the, the kind of Let It Be naked version of The Long and Winding Road um, and, and some other tracks. But I totally agree yeah. about All Things Must Pass. It can sound a little bit too busy. Um, in, with I mean, obviously, at the time, he was, I think Phil Spector was a, such a revered figure, and George just thought, I think perhaps he was just looking for a difference, a difference in sound with George Martin. I mean, all the Beatles, uh, well, apart from Paul, they, I think they all, um, well, John, did he, he worked with Phil Spector as well, didn't he? he? On Plastic Ono Band. Plastic Ono Band, imagine did, sometime in New York City, rock and roll, like right. a bunch of albums. Yeah, and there's something muddy about the production of Imagine as well, and the recent one was much better. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. Um, yeah, and I like the outtakes as well of the recent um, yeah. re-release. Yeah. So what we're going to go and talk uh, uh, more about the album now and some of the songs. And um, Nabila, if you wanna, if you wanna come in, um, you just put your hand up and you'll be on the stage. <laughs> with us in this very small room. Um, if not, we'll talk through some of the things about the album and um, some of the songs that we like best. Um, one, of the, one of the stories about George bringing in his songs is that um, he brought a lot of these, or a few of them along to the Let It Be sessions. Um, All Things Must Pass, Hear Me Lord, Let It Down, and Isn't It a Pity?, great songs and didn't really get a look in and apparently the the other Beatles were um, shockingly contemptuous about them and that must have really grated I mean they must not have given them a proper listen because when you hear those George demos um, they start appearing on the an on anthology and they're, they're really pretty good and apparently when they do I've forgotten this, but in the, when they do all things must pass and let it be in those sessions, everyone's just kind of talking through it. Yeah, it's kind of strange. I actually really like the anthology version of all things must pass to the point. Mm -hmm. Perhaps I like it a little bit better than the one on the album because it just sounds it, kind of more raw. It's really stripped down. There's a, nice, there's a nice vibrato on the guitar from what I remember. Yeah, yeah, it's it's brilliant. It's 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 lovely, yeah. and it's not as busy as the other. It just it's sounds more intimate, um, so that's why I like it. Maybe yeah. a little bit better. Like, of course, the the produced version. You know, it's it, it was made. It was meant for an album, and you know that the other one was only a demo. So, bearing that in mind, um, yeah, I still kind of prefer the other one. I like a lot of those demos, and then um, so I, before we go into the. the to songs, I just want to ask you about the cover. What did you, what did you think about the cover, the gnomes, the the sort of uh, the, the design of the sleeve and all of that? What did you think? I like it. I mean, I guess you were listening to it on download first. Yes, and I've never had the LP version, so I've never really um, right. enjoyed having the, the 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 cover of the CD or sort of the LP. Um, but I really like it. I think it it, it shows that um, George was a lot into gardening, which, which he was. Apparently, he's a very avid yes. gardener. Yeah, yeah, and um, and I think it's a great design. It's it's very George. Yeah, it's, it, do you, I mean he's looking very serious? But um, it's, do you think it's kind of tongue in cheek? And do you think the gnomes are supposed to be the the other Beatles? Um, I don't know. Was was there supposed to be a story behind it? I, yeah. So a lot of people think that the, the um, there were four gnomes around. And I remember thinking, well, George looks like one of the gnomes because they've got long beards and, you know, funny hats. <laughs> so that was what I thought the joke was. But apparently the four gnomes um, may be the other Beatles. Um, that's what the photographer who took the um, 
the photo he thought so, but nothing was ever said. So I think, uh, you know, it's anybody's guess, but a lot of people think that. Wow, and I didn't know that story. Maybe that's why the gnomes look a little bit dismissive of George. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not saying much. So they're not paying attention. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's, it's, it's a good cover. I, I just have a question, actually. It's lovely. I said yeah. I've never had the LP. Was it black and white or was it in color? Yeah, that's the thing. So the LP has a kind of sepia look. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a sepia look and it's a kind of black box. Um, very sort of trying to look like something very classic or oldy worldy, sort of old fashioned. Um, yeah, the color one didn't come until 2000. You know, they sort of added color to that just for fun. And then, of course, on the 2000 version, there were all sorts of different... Have you seen that with the different yep. covers? Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, that's quite fun with the tower blocks going up. But now this new release is more kind of um, like the original, right? Yeah. Yeah, like the original. And it's a lovely design. I don't know who did it. I think the cover, the box, the colored sleeves inside, and even down to the orange apple labels i just think it's a it's a just an eye-catching design um i mean the, i think a lot of the beatles stuff in the late era especially was well designed like that and this was you know follows in that tradition yeah for sure i think they, i think particularly with the beatles you always felt like um you got a kind of bang for your buck uh whenever you got their albums yeah and this one also yeah like the albums were like events Say that again? It came with a poster as well, right? Yes, that's right. And again, it's all very, very dark and somber. And George is looking very somber and even slightly elongated, like on the cover of um, Rubber Soul or something. You know, it's just that picture of him by the, the door. You know, it's, it's very interesting, very sort of quiet. You know, not a typical 1970 rock star poster at all. Yeah. Understated, you know. I guess he was saying, look, this is my life separate from the Beatles. This is my own zone now, and this is what I'm doing. Yeah, I think, well, that's what they all did with their first albums, I guess. Um, yeah. They tried, to, they tried to separate their persona from, from their Beatle persona, I guess. So, um, but, which, is, which is very interesting, because I, I, I don't understand what, I mean, I can see why they, would, they did it. But in the end, they were very good musicians when they were in the Beatles. And that's something that if, if I had that sort of talent as a songwriter or as a musician, I would like to take um, to my and implement in my solo stuff as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they, it's interesting because they gathered around them a lot of the same people apart from Paul. Yeah. But uh, John and George and perhaps Ringo as well. But, you know, working with um, Klaus Vorman, for example. Yep and Phil Spector, like we said. Um, so, and there was quite a crew Ringo on this album. Yeah, Ringo collaborated um, as a drummer. And I think uh -huh, um, that's right. in, in 71 also, George collaborated with John on Imagine. That's right. So he was playing on tracks like um, uh, Give Me Some Truth, for example. Oh, My Love. George really makes that track. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's almost as if the Beatles were still together but without Paul. You know, it's as if he had left the band and they think, were still enjoying working together. Yeah, but I think it also had a lot to do with Alan Klein, the, the manager at the time. Ah, and we'll come on to that. We'll come on to that in a moment when we talk about My Sweet Lord. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about My Sweet Lord. <laughs> I've got some things to say that, about why that. Why don't we talk about yeah. the, the opening of the album? I'd have you. Ah, okay. Time. Yeah, now that it's interesting. Now, co a co-written co with Bob Dylan. What do you think yeah. of that one? Well, it's one of those songs that I didn't really like when I was a teenager, but that I really yeah. like now. Um, when I kind of read about it, and I, and I knew that he'd co-written it with Bob Dylan, and that yeah. Bob Dylan wasn't feeling very confident at the time. I think it was 1968. So it was during, yep. or, or just before, I don't know whether it was just before or just after the White Album sessions. Do you know? Um, yes, it was. I think he went over to Woodstock a couple of times. I think he went over in February and he went over in April, May time. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so it's, it's really yeah, that would be yeah after the White Album sessions exactly, and after yeah, so sorry after Let It Be after Let It Be was it after Let It Be? Yeah, so basically when the the initial things uh, the, the the Twickenham sessions and everything had wound up, um, and the, um, the Twi- Twickenham had the Let It Be sessions had to wind up on the thirtieth of January because Ringo was going off to film the Magic Christian. So it was after that that George went. Yeah. So it's really interesting as well to see that George used to get along with all of these um, very famous musicians at the time. Um, so he was good, good friends with Bob Dylan and with Eric Clapton. Yes. And you don't really see that, that other Beatles used to hang out with, with them, especially considering that John Lennon was a big fan of Bob Dylan. They never really yeah, maybe there, was, maybe there was too much rivalry there. But I know that George had... Um, he just had so much fun working in that low-pressure environment, and I think it was good for his confidence... As a musician, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he enjoyed that. You know, there was a lot of joy. Oh, he must have gone, you're right, sorry, he must have gone there in 1968 too, because when he came back to Let It, for the Let It Be sessions, it was a drag, because he was back working in a situation controlled by somebody else, more or less, you know, much more controlled by Paul, and much more seeming like a job. Yes, and he just produced an album by Jackie Lomax, um, and apparently he really enjoyed doing that. Yeah, so he's feeling very confident at this time. Yeah, yeah. and I like I like uh, might have you anytime. I like the middle bit. That's the kind of Bob Dylan bit. But I also think it's kind of a it's an interesting track to open up with because I feel that the Beatles always opened up with a very immediately arresting songs, sit up in your seat, you know, right from Drive My Car, Taxman, you know, Sergeant Pepper, right, back in the USSR, like, all right, what's this, you know? And I'd have you anytime just isn't one of those. You know, it's so gentle. And do you think that's a positive thing or a negative thing? I don't know. It's just a strange choice. Like, um, I mean, I can think of loads of songs that I would open up with rather than that one. You know? Like any other song? On the I mean, <laughs> yeah, I would might open up with I Dig Love or something like that. Yeah, well, what is life? Why not? I mean, I Dig Love reminds me of Come Together in many ways. And I just think that would be a great opener with the drums and all that, you know. And it's just interesting that he didn't open with a, a sort of a, a showstopper. Yeah, it's interesting, especially being his first album. Um, but I think it was done on purpose. Yeah, to sort of just to um, maybe just to coax people in gently. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, good song. Highly recommended. I think it's one of the highlights of the album. Certainly, if anything, just because of the historical importance, I guess, of, of uh, George and, and Bob Dylan writing together. Yeah, and a lovely middle eight. When the middle eight comes in, there's a really nice build there and the vocals are good. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yep. Great. Now, my 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 sweet lord. Yes. Um, now, this is interesting. I played this to a friend of mine who um, was really into soul and funk, and uh, he only listened to soul and funk. Really, he didn't listen to any standard rock music at all. Almost none. He didn't really know the Beatles. And when he heard my sweet lord, he said to me. Not only is that the best Beatles solo song, but that is the best song by any of the solo artists or the Beatles. That's the best thing they ever did. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting. And I have to say, I just love that track so much. And, you know, every time I've moved house um, in, in, in the last, you know, 20 or 30 years, when I move into a new place and I get my stereo set up, the first thing I put on is My Sweet Lord. It's just become a tradition. But I just love that track, and I loved it since I first heard it. And one of the things I love about it is just the vocal. I just think it's so strong and exuberant. And he, George isn't a great singer, you know, but he's just belting it out with such joy and really rocking uh, in a way that you rarely hear him do after, say, 1971. It's just, it, you know, it's, I, just, I just find it overwhelming. And, and I have to say, the Phil Spector on this uh, production on this song, it's brilliant. 
right? Yeah, you, you know, he doesn't. Like it. He it's not swamped in rubbish. It's got the stereo guitars. Um, so so many good things about this track. Do you, do you have the same reaction? Yeah, exactly the same reaction. I really like it. One of the things I really like about this song is how it modulates in like in the middle, um, and it goes up one tone. Yes. Um, so it goes. That's from, nice. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, I think it's at F sharp, um, and then it goes to is it G sharp? I don't know because I played. So it makes it album. difficult to play. It, it's well, also it, got that sort it just of makes it very exciting when you're listening to it because it's like yeah. a crescendo thing. So so I find it. That's um, right. So I, I really oh, and there's all game. all those things in it, like when the drums come in, when the bass and the drums come in, um, they've really um, sort of accentuated this. So when the song starts off, it's quite quiet. And if you just keep it on the same volume, by the end, it's it's really loud. So they've they've allowed not just the extra instruments to come in, but they've allowed a real build on that song, which I guess was more common at that time, but it works really well. Yeah, but I, and I also really like the fact that it's a religious song without it yes. being a religious song. It's kind of a spiritual song rather than a religious song. I don't know if that makes any sense. Exactly. Yeah, say something more about that. That's interesting. Yeah, it, it's, it's not cheesy, religious. You yeah. Know what I mean? um, yeah, I, I've, I, yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, um, no matter how religiously inclined or, you know, atheistically inclined I'm feeling at different times of my life because I have felt different things. I've always liked the song. I think that's because he does the roll call from at least two different religions. Um, and I think that really helps him to broad-minded, you know? Yeah, I think it's a very difficult thing to do as a songwriter as well, to write um, a, a spiritual song that anyone could relate to, no matter what religion you are or what beliefs you have. Which I think is very is yeah. nice. Is, is very kind. Some of those um, um, American spirituals are are a bit like that, you know. Like if you think of stuff like Amazing Grace, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, that kind of thing. But when I wanted to write a religious spiritual song myself, I based it on My Sweet Lord. I mean, people can't hear it because I didn't copy it, but um, I sort of um, it's a song about kind of drawing the water from the mountainside and the water on the mountainside is the source of, you know, what's a source for life. And uh, I sort of copied My Sweet Lord in, in, in terms of the song structure a little bit and just the mood. And I, I you know, and really happy to, to do so as a kind of homage to George. Yeah, yeah for sure. It's, it's a beautiful song. And as you were saying as well, the the, the, the backing singers are really good. Fantastic! I just love that roll call. It becomes very hypnotic, and they go, of course they go through all the Hindu um, deities. So what do you want to say something about the lawsuit? Because um, you had sort of dug around there a little bit, and yeah, Alan Klein. Um, yeah, well, apparently, well, as as you know, um, George was sued for copyright infringement on this song um, because it sounded very similar to a song called "He's So Fine" by the Cliftons. Is it or? Is it the Cliftons? The, the Chiffons, yeah. Chiffons. That's the one, yes. Um, yep. Let me see if I can find it. See if you think it sounds similar. Have you ever heard that song? Okay. Yes, play it. So basically, they they said yep. that bit um, sounded very similar to the bit of. It's not just that bit. There's the one immediately after that, and then it goes up. Da 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 da. You know, so it, it also. Yep. There you are. There you go. Yes. Yeah. So it's got that too. Yes. So yeah, so he was. I think he was sued. Um, in the early seventies, or right. was, sorry, in the mid seventies, in seventy six. That's uh, right. Yeah, and he he was getting very close to um to arranging a settlement with um with a record company, um, mm -hmm. and in the end they didn't because the company went into receivership, 
Um, and in the end, it went like it changed hands many times. And at the time, Alan Klein was uh, George Harrison's manager. Mm -hmm. So, so later, I think it was kind of 78, 77, 78, um, George fired Alan Klein, as did um, John Lennon. And Alan Klein bought the company that owned the rights to the song. Ah, okay. And he continued the lawsuit um, and George lost. Ah, that, that sort of, so something fishy then. So it was a bit fishy, yes. Mm, mm. What do you think? I mean, what do you think? Do you think that it was copied or whatever? I know that George basically took a guitar into court and said, well, this is how he'd written this song and this is how it had evolved and that he hadn't copied it. Yeah, and I think the judge agreed. He said in the end that it was subconscious plagiarism rather than conscious. Uh, okay. Um, and he still lost. I don't, I don't think he copied it consciously. Not consciously. I think I, what, another story I've heard is that um, somebody, um, he, he'd heard this song, Oh Happy Day, by the Edwin Hawkins singers and was very impressed by that. And he was, he said to this guy Delaney that he was touring with, you know, oh, he'd like to write a, a sort of spiritual song. And Delaney said, oh, well, you know, here's a, you know, kind of you know, spiritual song. And he claimed that he'd kind of played, he's so fine in a kind of spiritual rendition to sound like a spiritual and then George had picked up on it but of course you know that's what I guess what you would say say oh it's my idea you know yeah. so I think it it's sound, all buried it in sound like, oh happy day also sounds like uh, my sweet lord I'll just play a bit of it oh play a bit of that Ah. So the chords are very similar. Ah, yep. So you can see how it would have wow. served yeah. as an inspiration. Interesting. Of course, that that song was stolen back in the nineties by um, Spiritualized. So they um, not Spiritualized, um, yeah, Spiritualized, yeah. They, so they 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 brought that song back and did their own version of Oh Happy Day. Yeah. But so, all in, but all in all, I think I see My Sweet Lord as a kind of as a song of George's. I don't see it as a song that was copied, um, and I think it's a beautiful song. Yeah. And, 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 and quite deservedly, uh, the first solo Beatle number one in November 1970. Is that right? Um, yeah, yeah, he was the first. He must, he must have been really pleased about that. Yeah, um, yeah in, in November 1970. Yeah, and, 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 and I guess the, in many ways the highlight of his career. Um, everyone also knows Got My Mind Set On You from you know, a different era. Um, but these are the George songs that people tend to know. And God, my mind tells me it isn't an original okay. song, is it? It's a cover. Nope. Nope. That's a cover. Okay. Your choice next. Um, okay. well, um, if we talk about I'd Have You Any Time, how about If yeah. Not For You? Ah, if Not For You, go on. Yeah. What do you think of that one? I Dylan, of course, again. It's a Bob Dylan cover. Um, I think Bob yeah. Dylan released a version of it um, just before... Um, this album came out as well, which sounds very different yep. to, to the yes. of this album. Um, I have to say, I prefer the version of this album than Bob Dylan's version. Um, and I just think it's such a beautiful, simple love song. Um, and again, as a songwriter, it's so difficult to achieve, you know, such a beautiful song with such. It is. It is. It's very touching, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, but it's only like three chords, and um, and and yeah, it's it's just one. Is that is that little riff? Yeah, it's a joyous song, and is that little riff on um, the Dylan version? The down down down. Um, I don't think so. Actually, the first time I ever heard this song was the version in concert for Bangladesh. Ah, okay. 
and and it's it's a beautiful version. It's just them two. Um, I think. Well, I've got a, the DVD. Um, and it's an outtake, so the kind of rehearsing before the concert started. Yeah. Um, so they're yeah. kind of placing microphones and everything, and it's such an intimate version. It's just the two of them playing the song together while you can see the road. Oh, lovely! Setting up the equipment. Um, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's it's it, it's very similar to the one on this album. Um, let me see if I can find the Bob Dylan version. Do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think George was singing to Patty or or to Krishna? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe to well. Maybe to Chris because I often wonder. I I wonder if with I've, I'd have you any time as well. A lot of the songs on this album, I wonder if he was still sort of into his marriage it, to the extent that these were love songs for Patty, or if he was by that time singing to God. I'm you know, not, I'm not sure. Um, I think he, by the 1970s they were kind of drifting apart, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. That's why I wonder. You know, if because because. Yeah, it could easily be repurposed as a as a sort of um, spiritual song too. Yeah, th- this is the um, Bob Dylan version. Oh, it's got that little riff. Yeah, but it's kind of more country. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so I kind of prefer the George version. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it was recorded in the same session as um, Apple Scruffs because it's got the same kind of um, soundstage. Um, yeah, just they rem- to kind of remind me of each other, those two. Yeah, and I think something worth mentioning, which I think we didn't talk about in My Sweet Lord, is the, the slide guitar work um, of George's in this album. Um, it's, something that, uh, it's all over it, isn't it? It's all over it, and it's something he didn't, he hadn't done with the Beatles, and he kind of started um, with with his first solo record. Oh, that's really interesting. I never never thought about that before. One of the things I noticed with the new mix is that um, they've tried to sort of tease out the guitar parts, so there were a lot of sort of secret little lines that had been buried before that you can really hear now. Uh, and, and it kind of, that was when I listened to this new mix, that was one of the things that really struck me is that he's a really good guitarist. I mean, I guess I already knew that, but he's really fussed and fussed on these arrangements. They're really careful and yeah. worked and worked and worked on the guitar parts. So you've got to, you've got to, just like in a Beatles album, you might tune into the bass and listen to what's happening on the bass. It's worth listening to All Things Must Pass. And really focusing on the guitar. Yeah, yeah um, I agree. Um, another thing that I think is very interesting about this um, uh, this particular album is I, I'm not sure sometimes whether it's Eric Clapton or George Harrison playing. I don't know if it's because they were hanging out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, one one place I think it's Eric is um, Art of Dying. Mm-hmm. So um, something about that song, uh, you know, that wah-wah that's, that's yeah. kind of, it's still pulled slightly back in the mix, but it's so kind of intense, that kind of circular wah-wah bit. Now, I think that's Eric Clapton because it kind of reminds me of um, White Room by Cream and with, with the wah-wah, and it's kind of hard-edged and I think it works, it, that works spectacularly well. I don't know it's Eric but I think. Yeah. What, what I feel sometimes is that if it sounds too difficult, then it must be Eric. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, this definitely sounds too difficult. Yeah. This one. Um, you know the bit I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, know, I know the bit you mean. Um, but at the same time, I've, I've been proven wrong. Like, I thought that the slide guitar was Eric Clapton at some point, especially in My Sweet Lord, because, um, but then I, I, well, I read and it's George. And I think uh, okay. it's a cute yeah. guitar with bat finger. What I love, what I love about um, the slide, gu- the guitar there on on My Sweet Lord is the double line. I just, uh, you know, the fact that there's there are two melody lines on the guitar at points, uh, and I think that just works so well. Great. I don't know how much the Beatles had done of that, you know, self-consciously harmonizing lead guitar lines, but I'm sure it was much in vogue around 1970. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I can't think of any Beatles song that did that with, um, with, with, with the solo. 
No, nor can I. What do you think of art dying? Um, because it's it's quite um, just in, musically. What do you think of that one? It's quite interesting, isn't it? It's nice. I'm just going to play a bit of it. So just in case. Yeah. Um, yep. Hang on a second. There's the guitar. That must be Eric. I think so. I think so. I leave it. Leave it playing just for a few seconds. Yeah. Do you hear the bass there? The way the bass is working. I remember in in the early eighties when I bought this album that somebody said to me that was just like Duran Duran, you know, and and them uh, thinking it sounded incredibly early eighties and incredibly um, contemporary. Yeah, I was just going to say this is one of the songs, in my opinion, that perhaps sounds the most seventies in the record, especially the okay. Aha! Yeah, definitely that 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 uh, wah wah intro. Yeah. Apparently, um, James Hunter from Rolling Stone described it as spookily, a spookily proto disco performance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I I like that track, and I, I, um, you know, I think musically it's quite different from the rest of the album. The way it kind of powers along, and uh, it's also kind of interesting how i mean it's such an arcane idea i think in terms of putting religious ideas to music mm -hmm. i mean that's a, it's a real a characteristic hindu idea and really quite a, an out there idea to smuggle into a rock song there that, that you know that the most important thing is the art of dying i mean yeah yeah again this is one of the songs that i kind of got into more um I mean, years after I'd got got the copy of the album, um, it it used to be one of the ones yeah. I used to skip, but now it's one of the ones I like I, I like best as well. I like Billy Billy Preston plays the yeah. old song. Oh, does he? Yeah. Okay. Apparently, all of Derek and the Dominoes are on are on this track. Not just Derek Clapton, but the whole band. Yeah. Is that because they were recording the album at the same time, or? I don't know. I guess that's who Eric Clapton was playing with at the same time. Right. Yeah, I don't know the ins and outs of it. I'm sure if they tell you, okay, do you want to play on George's song? Um, you'd say yes, right? <laughs> and I think Eric probably had different reasons. Do you want to come round to George's house? Yeah, yeah, I'll come round. And then, I'll stay yeah, the hang out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I wanted to ask you about another one that struck me when I was listening um, again this week. Um, one that really stood out for me. Uh, what do you think of um, the Sir Frankie Crisp one? Let it roll. This one. Let me play it. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. Yeah. I love that um, introduction. I love that instrumental section, and I'd never really noticed it before. And on the new mix, I think they really, they just teased out the instruments and gave them the separation, and it's got a beautiful dreamlike quality there. And George's voice, his singing is amazing here as well. Yeah, and he seems re sounds really happy. Yeah, and also it's but it, the only thing perhaps is um it's very especially in, in, as you said like in 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 this version in in the new re release um you can hear the instrumentation very well and perhaps with the older editions you couldn't so that would be my only kind of criticism um it sounds very yeah actor, the the previous version yeah the the new the new mix is so much better this is one of the ones where those hidden guitar parts really come out. Yeah, fantastic! I love that. 
Um, it must have meant a lot it, to George as well, because I think his greatest hits album was called Let It Roll. Yeah, and I wonder why. I, I'm not sure. I, th I think that might have been a posthumous album. Like, I, I think that was, yeah, it was quite a recent one. I'm not sure why they chose that as the title, but either George or, you know, somebody must have loved that song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is it about, it's kind of about his house and his garden. It's, is it, is it a kind of surreal lyric? Um, I mean, is the fountain of perpetual mirth, is that an actual place? I, that used to intrigue me. Well, again, this is, this is one of the least famous songs from the album, but I think it's a song that perhaps if he had been part of an album that didn't have so many songs, it would have been one of the highlights. Yeah, I think you're right. So Frankie Crisp, of course, was... Do you know? No. So he was the guy who George Harrison had bought the house from. Um, what was the name of it? Was it Friar Park? I think, yeah, Friar Park. And he bought it from Sir Frankie Crisp. And, yeah, he's photographed in the garden there. So, yeah. Um, and so I don't know uh, if there's any, any... I don't know if the lyrics that sort of have a point or if they're just kind of surreal. In the new version, you can hear that he's not just whispering Sir Frankie Crisp, but he's kind of saying it in a very low, growly voice. Have you heard that yet? No, I haven't heard that yet. You know, in the old one, have you heard him whispering it in the old one? Yeah, I, I, I remember the old one, but I haven't heard it um, from the new release. Yeah, yeah. So in the old one, it just you can just hear it just in the corner of the headphones, right? And he, he sounds it sounds as if he's whispering, but in fact he's saying Sir Frankie Crisp like that <laughs> in a kind of very a sort of joke deep voice. So there you go. <laughs> oh, wow, that's really cool. Yeah. It's what a lovely song, and the no, no, go, on. go ahead. Sorry, no, no, sorry. I was just that, that. I was just repeating. I was just saying, lovely. Uh, the instrumental sections are so good, and on the new mix, um, you can hear very clearly the synth um, synthesizer because apparently George was the only. Well, sorry, George was the first person in Britain to own a Moog or Moog synthesizer. Um, so, you know, because he got one for Abbey Road mm -hmm. a year earlier, um, and it's all over this album, but it got kind of buried in the production again. Um, he's mostly using it as a kind of, um, what do you call it, like a kind of pad, a sort of orchestral pad, but you can hear it clearly uh, on, on Let It Roll, and, and it's, it's, it's beautiful. It works really well. They used the Mog synthesizer as well um, in Abbey Road, right? Um, and yes. So here comes the sun and Maxwell Silverhammer. Exactly. Yeah, and then it's all over this album, but quite subtly. So there's nowhere where it kind of emerges uh, and takes over, um, but it's there in the background. Really nice, mostly to kind of fill out things, you know, um, do like you, a keyboard pad of the of the Mog synthesizer. I love it, you know. But I, I'm trying to think of characteristic. The I mean the. The characteristic one that I've heard um, again and again is the kind of Strawberry Fields um, intro, which different people have copied. But that, that was and, Mellotron. No, I love that sound. Oh, that's a Mellotron, of course, of yeah. course. Right, Moog, I'm, I'm now I'm going to think of I think it works really well in Here Comes the Sun and really well in uh, Maxwell Silverhammer. The, you know, again, they, they didn't, it's not exactly forward in the mix, but it's clear enough. Um, where else? What else? I was watching this documentary on Apple Music called, um, I think it's called Hear This. It's yeah. Mark Ronson. Uh huh. H have you seen it? No. No, it's really good. It's about, it's six episodes, and each episode um, kind of covers a different kind of sound. Yeah. Yeah. So one of them, one of the episodes was on synthesizers and, and they interviewed Paul McCartney and they asked him about the, using the Mog synthesizer for, um, Maxwell Silverhammer. And he said yeah. that it was a very slow process, um, to get the, to get it to sound like that and that the, the other Beatles really resented it. Wow. Oh, of course he used it. My favorite Moog moment that I know is Moog is that. Um, solo on Mamonia, that incredible, yeah. beautiful. It sounds like the sun coming out, doesn't it? And it just 
person um, that's the um, from Band on the Run, the track called Mamonia, and I, I think that's fantastic. And and and, they, and they're really using it as a lead instrument. Then they're not shy about using it at that point. Yeah, it's Watch the Sound, the documentary. So okay, I'll check that out. Watch it; it's it's pretty good. Thanks for the tip. Um, what do you think of Beware of Darkness? Beware of Darkness is one of the key tracks, I think, and I th- it, on on I've got a feeling on um, Concert for Bangladesh, it's either the first or second one he does. So they, I can't remember if it's A Waiting on You All or Beware of Darkness that comes in first. Um, I think it's fantastic. I think um, um, the it's really from the heart. I think that's his. I think it's the the core of his message. If there's a spiritual message here, um, this is kind of the most pointed it gets. You know, it can hit you, it can hurt you. This is not what you're here for. Um, you know, these sound like, you know, they're not just lifted from, you know, sacred text. This is what he's feeling at that time. I love the, I love the, the phased guitars at the edges, you can, you can hear them just for a couple of seconds in the intro, really nice. And on the new mix, it just was, you know, it, it was so pleasurable to hear it. Like there's a glockenspiel that comes in mm-hmm. um, immediately after he says, Beware of Darkness. You can just hear it. And then when it gets to the solo, this is a lovely sculpted solo, um, and it, it, like the Beatles, like he worked really hard on this, and you can hear it with the glockenspiel on the new mix, and it's just, it's a real highlight of the album. Great song. Yeah. I think it's one of those songs that works well as, a, as an album, as, like as, a, as a record played by many musicians, and also yeah. as an acoustic um, song, because there is an acoustic, I think in the, in the new release as well, there is an acoustic version of it. Which I really like. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's it's very sweet and, and it's great. I'll go back very and intimate. listen to that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really. Yeah, cool. I think yeah. there is um there is also a bootleg version of this song that says "Beware of Apco," which is the uh, yes, the there is that's that right. Pine owned, yeah. <laughs> yes. So he was already feeling some negative stuff about Alan Klein even at this stage. Yeah. So it's it's yeah because I, I thought it was from later that um that version but it's yeah. nineteen seventy yeah I think this is the one what watch out now take a beware of falling swingers that's the version I think it's towards the end that he goes a beware of after. Yeah. Oh God, he's sing- he's just singing it so well. That can- you can't get that on the. That's not on the new release, is it? I think it's in the um, in the five CD version. No oh, right. <laughs> yeah, but you can find it. You can find it on Spotify. It's on on disc four. Oh uh, yeah, I, I, I'm gonna. I'd like to hear that. It sounds really really great. I mean, he's just singing it so well. Some of the vocals on this album are just outstanding some of the best George vocals. I know he wasn't always the strongest singer, um, but there are some I just great performances here. About George, and I think he was a great singer. Um, even with, with uh-huh. the Beatles, he, his um, harmonies with Paul were great. Of course, yeah. And he had a really good ear for that. He and I, again, this, this, a lot of the tracks on this album are well supported with um, Beatlesque sort of harmonies, like um, Apple Scruff, for example. <laughs> It's a difficult thing to do to harmonize with with someone as as well as George did. What he does with Dylan is great. It's really difficult. I've never been able to do it my whole life. It's just something I've tried to do and can't really do, unless it's on really obvious songs. It's really tough, you know, and you see people sticking their fingers in their ears and all that (laughs) at folk clubs. Can you do it? um, I can't do it, no, no, and I've tried, um, but... But yeah, I think Paul is a great singer because he has a very kind of wide range, especially in the early seventies. Yeah. And and, maybe, and George doesn't have such a range, but but I think like he was a very good sing, a, a very good rock singer. For yeah, sure. yeah there, there's some wonderful moments on this album, like um, for example, um, "I Dig Love." You know, um, towards the end, um, I mean, that's another one where he's just really belting it out. 
and he sounds really free and liberated, and he's just going for it. Um, it's lovely to hear that, because my feeling is that after about 70, 71, um, George sort of limits his singing, and it's it's still nice, but he won't really go crazy anymore. Until perhaps towards and, the end. Um, I don't know if you've heard um, his last album, Brainwashed, which I think is from... I love that album. Too. I love that and, album. And I think he sings really well. But as you said, if you listen to his live album from the 90s, live in Japan, I think it is, um, his singing isn't the best. Yeah. His, I think, um, actually, for my money, Brainwashed is the best uh, George album after um, All Things Must Pass and Concert for Bangladesh, obviously. And then that's my, ne my next favorite is Brainwashed. And I know it has Jeff Lynne all over it. Um, but that's okay. I think it works really, really well. I just think that's a great album with great songs, and I'd recommend it to anyone. Um, yeah, yeah, same here. Brilliant lyrics. Vatican Blues is one of my favorite George um, George Harrison songs. Yeah, really nice. And I, I like the song Brainwashed itself. Um, yeah, yeah. Choose another one that you like from this. Um, let's see. What about Awaiting on You All? Awaiting on You All. Yeah, great song. As you said, I think they opened the concert for Bangladesh with a waiting on you all. Yes, that's the opener. Okay. Yeah, now that's a real gospel type song, isn't it? Yes. Um, the, there are two versions. I think, the, the, well, there is the one on the album, which is a, the uh, kind of produced version. There was a documentary yep. um, about George that was released a few years ago. Um, I can't remember the oh, name. Oh, the Martin Scorsese one. The Scorsese one. And yep. um, there was a... a, a, a kind of a soundtrack released at the same time called Early Takes. Yes. Yes. And he had a, a I think take one of a waiting for you all. And I thought that was so beautiful. I'm going yeah. that's another one I'm gonna go back and listen to, Bernardo. You're giving me a lot of uh leads here. Yeah, yeah it's just it's just I uh, I'll play a bit of it so you can hear it just of the beginning. Okay. Yeah. You don't need to love in. You don't need a bedpan. You don't need a horoscope or a microscope to see the message you're in. Oh, that's nice. If you open and that is take one. Ah, oh, really nice. Yeah. It's brilliant. He just sounds so excited as well. I know. So th I think that's the reason why it sounds so, so good. Is he's just excited to play a new song in the studio. Maybe. Interesting as well. Uh, um... Uh, on this song, I don't know if this is the first mention of Jesus, but um, it's interesting because the Beatles had a little tradition that they wouldn't mention God or Jesus at all. And then oh. as soon as they got free, both John and George mentioned Jesus on their first album. Yeah. yeah. So just uh, interesting there, you know, break, a break in with the tradition and a very spiritual lyric there. Like you don't yeah. need all these trappings of religion. Um, just get to the, the the sort of the core of it. Yeah, I guess um, I guess that John Lennon's kind of mention of Jesus was a little bit stronger with the "I don't believe in Jesus." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's nice that George George's mention of Jesus is quite generous. Uh, that you know, even though this is, um, I guess it's th something that people were kicking against in the sixties, but you know, Jesus is welcome into the pantheon of you know spirituality as he saw it, and that's uh, kind of a difficult thing to say in nineteen seventy. That would be the last thing that rock fans would want to hear, really. Yeah, I think yeah, but again, George does it so. The hard. birds did it as well. The the birds have that. Um, um, Jesus is just all right. So there's a similar kind of feeling in that. Yeah, and the the line about the Pope um, always kind of um, kind of caught my attention when I was a kid. Oh, what's the line about the Pope? It says, "And while the Pope owns fifty one percent of General Motors and the stock exchange is something or other." <sighs> So it's, <laughs> <laughs> I, it's funny. I didn't. I, I knew the bit about General Motors, but I never heard the bit about the Pope. Yeah. You know, sometimes you hear a lyric and just uh, da, 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 General Motors. So I didn't even know that. Yeah. I heard <laughs> the first time in that demo because you can hear the lyrics kind of um, more clearly in the demo version. Um, and I was like, Whoa. yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, Bernardo, it's been absolutely. 
fantastic to talk to you about that album. What a joy. What a pleasure. Great, yeah. It's brilliant. We'll so, definitely do this again. Thank you, Nabila. You were the only person, and you were there for the whole hour, so it was lovely to have you there. Um, and perhaps next time we'll have more people. I think next time we'll be in a couple of weeks' time, perhaps. Yep. And that should be we've decided to, decided to talk about Revolver. Yep, brilliant album. Yeah. Loads of things yeah, to say and, about Revolver as well. One that stood the test of time that everybody still rates. Um, so um, that will be interesting to hear your take on that one, Bernardo. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Yeah, and Nabila, if you, um, I should have said this at the beginning, um, but if you, if you, if you come uh, next time, you're always welcome just to put up your hand or to say something in the chat. And um, but that's the great thing about Clubhouse; you can just uh, you can listen or you can participate. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Again, thank okay. you very much, and um, thank, thank you, you for for um, staying for the whole hour. As Neil said, um, it's yes. great to have you. And yeah, hopefully next time we'll get. And, um, 